0: culture map presents what's eric eating from the gal media studios in
1: houston texas here's culture map food editor eric sandler
0: welcome to what's eric eating culture map's weekly look at all things houston bars and restaurants i'm your host culture map food editor eric sandler I have Chris Williams of Lucille's and Don Burrell from Culture coming up in a little bit to talk about the Food Apartheid Dinner Series. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine in Montrose. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm
2: well, Eric. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. We have much to discuss, so let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Night Heron. Agricole Hospitality's Montrose property has made some pretty big changes. Originally it was kind of opened as a better luck tomorrow style bar restaurant hybrid. They have decided that's not really working for them and they are turning it into more of a European inspired cafe, or as I like to think of it, cultivare South, uh, some of the dishes from the Cultivare menu, including the black pepper spaghetti and the fried cauliflower are now on the, are now on the menu and they have a new chef who worked at and Provisions for a long time and has spent the last year working at Cultivare. Um, Mary, I have my own thoughts about Night Heron, but let me start with you. What do you think? I mean, is this, is this the direction Night Heron needs to be more successful?
2: I think Night Heron has kind of struggled to find its footing, uh, their identity, if you will, like what they are and what they represent. Uh, I think maybe they should have made a change a little bit earlier, but I'm glad they're doing it now. Uh, Cultivari is such an amazing restaurant. Everybody in the city wants to emulate that kind of restaurant, and You know, it's hard to translate that style of restaurant um, where Night Heron is. And I know it's not the same, but uh, the ambiance of cultivari is pretty hard to beat. And I think Night Heron, you know, its patio doesn't have, it feels good, but it doesn't have the same vibe, obviously, as that does. And the menu was a little disjointed. So I think maybe having a little more cohesive menu um, and identity would be good for them.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think you've really hit the nail on the head. I live, that that's my part of mantras. And we're going to talk about the Toasted Coconut, another new addition to the neighborhood here in a little bit. But, you know, even though I live very close to Night Heron, I have not been a Night Heron regular because I never quite found the menu to be that appealing. You know, there's that one... There was that one kind of steak and noodle salad, which you know, I, I thought was tasty, but was just not the kind of thing that I was going to probably order on a regular basis. So just the ability to get Cultivare's black pepper spaghetti close to my house without a wait, you know, with an upgraded wine list and they still got, they've still got good cocktails. I mean, that alone will probably get me in there on a more regular basis. And I think the chef, Jonathan Pittman,
2: you know, anyone who,
0: who could work, uh, for the passing provisions for six years, obviously has, uh, some skills and, and, you know, I, I spoke to him chops, if you will. Yeah. Some pretty serious, (laughs) some pretty serious chops and some pretty serious stamina. And, uh, you know, having, having met Jonathan and spoken to Ryan Perra about him, Uh, you know, this is a young chef that, that Ryan sees as someone with a lot of potential and you know, the, the reality is the night heron kitchen is pretty small. So they, you know, they're going to bring in supplies in a way that they can be, you know, run for a week, maybe two weeks and then, and then they'll move on, you know, the, so the menu is going to change on a pretty regular basis. Uh, They're going to feature more pastas. The only thing they can't do is pizza. There's not room for a pizza oven, unfortunately, but you know, uh, a more cohesive menu and, and at a time, right. When it's not that Montrose lacks for good Italian style options, but Hey,
2: hey, I have cacio e pepe.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Dolce is yeah.
2: closing soon, possibly. You know, right, well right. As... Dolce
0: Dolce Vita might be going away, but I mean, Pauly's is still there. Uh, you know, Rosie Cannonball just opened. They've got they've got three pastas on the menu and a bunch of pizza. But I, I do. I'm I'm in on this. I think I think this is a good new direction for them.
2: I'm excited to see the changes. When will it take full effect?
0: It is. It is. So they waited until the end of Houston Restaurant Weeks. Okay. And now that that is over, they are full throttle with the new menu.
2: Awesome. Yeah.
0: All right. Topic number 2. El Segundo Swim Club, the <laughs> pool bar in the second ward, thus the name, has reopened. I I don't I don't know that there's a whole heck of a lot to say about this. It you know, El Segundo had a very brief run last summer. Uh the owner and and in Braverman the designer and and Chris Frankel who the the bartender who put together their uh, their beverage offerings came came on the show and then like last year and then a week later the city shut them down for not having fully secured all of the permits that one needs to turn what had been a private pool into a public space so they are through all of that um, they have added to their landscaping they've added some more, Seating and now they are fully permitted and fully firing through whatever the end of pool weather is, which as far as I'm concerned in Houston could be like all the way to Thanksgiving.
2: Oh, it could could be Mm -hmm. all the way to Thanksgiving, even like spurts in December, possibly. Yeah. I remember Christmas being 85 degrees one year.
0: So, I, I mean, so let me put it to you like this. There's not really... Like, there are hotels with pools where people can hang out.
2: I know the model for this. It's the Country Club in New Orleans. I was there last weekend. It's, oh, good. It has 300 capacity for 300 in the pool and several hundred others lounging around. And this bar does incredibly brisk business.
0: Well, let me put it to you like this. You uh, Would you go there with a group of your girlfriends? Do you think you for Bubbles and yeah. White Claw and pool time
2: I mean absolutely like schedule you know like a Sunday brunch type of thing I would do that the country club in New Orleans does a drag bu- brunch every Saturday I believe and that has a six-month wait list so you know I don't know if they combine maybe some elements that Boheme does drag brunch that'd be kind of cool make it you know give it like a reason to go there besides just the pool
0: yeah I mean right now the pool is kind of the thing yeah. uh, oh and and Jin's design is is really pretty and and kind of inspired by like Brazil in the seventies, which is fun. I think the the plan is to have food trucks. I have not seen specific food trucks or any sort of schedule. And then other than that, the cut, you know,
2: I think you have to have a food component to get people to stay there. Right.
0: Easy drinking cocktails, bubbles, white claw. I I mean, this is not, this is not a complicated thing. It's the
2: summer of white claw. Evidently. It is the
0: summer of white claw. (laughs) <laughs> and chris frankel is the uh, the ringleader.
2: Oh my goodness. I'm having flashbacks to Zima in high school.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not that's not unreasonable. Uh yeah, but I mean I, I I wrote about this. It did it it garnered a lot of attention on culture map and then over the last couple of weekends I have seen it in my instagram stories as different people that I follow have all checked it out. You know, I have not been this year. I went last year just to kind of hang. It's a good time, you know, and and if the heat slackens off like just a little bit, like if the high is, you know, 89 or 90 instead of 99 or 100.
2: With a heat index of 105. Right.
0: <laughs> it will be very easy to spend a lazy Saturday or Sunday hanging out by the pool, having a drink, you know, even if you never get in the water, right? kind of chill in the dip your toes if you will yeah proverbial
2: i like it i definitely want to check it out
0: all right and then topic number three chris shepherd has a new cookbook out cook like a local this uh it's an interesting it's an interesting conceit for a cookbook because usually when we say cook like a local we mean local ingredients Chris has a fondness for local ingredients, but he means cook like the people that live in your community. And for Houston, that means all of the different immigrant traditions that have inspired him at Underbelly and at UB Preserve and at his other restaurants. So I got an advanced copy of the book and conspired with a couple of friends of ours to put together a little dinner party where we made some of the dishes from the book including the uh, whole roasted fish that our friend Nick Mascura made, the uh, grilled chicken that Will Walsh made, Tyler made the Korean goat and dumplings. I
2: heard there was a hairdryer used on the chicken. No, no. Circulate Chris,
0: there. Chris, Chris showed up. So Chris <laughs> Shepard heard about the dinner party, showed up with his fiance Lindsay, to sort of inspect everything. Mm-hmm. And when he saw the hairdryer, he was like, no, no put that away let me show you how to use a grill
2: who whipped that out just curious i i don't want to name names okay i don't want (laughs) to
0: since since it wasn't used in the preparation of the meal i do not want to shame anyone by naming them fair enough um malikian of uh harlem road texas barbecue made a couple of sides we had a wonderful spicy zucchini dish anyway um I have to say that the book is compelling. I am not like, I mean, anyone that knows me knows I am not a home cook.
2: I like the idea of this party. I came at the end of it that, you know, people prepared their, you know, everybody brought a dish, if you will. So bringing a cohesive meal together, I think that's a fun way to do a dinner party and it doesn't burden everybody with all the dishes. But I think as a whole, they were really pleased with the outcome.
0: Yes. I, I mean, you ate some of the food. What did you think of it?
2: I did not eat any of the food. I arrived tardy. Oh. Well, <laughs> there was still food. Work.
0: there was still food when you showed up. Anyway, yes. I will say uh, our friends did a very good job of preparing the dishes. I thought they looked like the versions from Chris's various restaurants. I thought they tasted like the versions at Chris's restaurants. Yeah. I think that speaks There to wasn't both.
2: much left, so I would say that it was successful based on that.
0: Right. I I think that that is a testament to both quality of the recipes that, that Chris and his co-writer put together and tested and also to our friends skills in the kitchen uh, being successful at recreating some of these recipes. Oh the one thing I didn't mention is uh, Tyler's wife Ashley made the tater tot casserole. Mm, yum. Yeah crispy cheesy potatoes is never a bad thing.
2: Absolutely not.
0: Uh, and, and what did I bring?
2: Uh, vino, wine from Avondale Food and Wine. Yes,
0: that's that's how I support, <laughs> that's how I uh, eat and drink like a local. I support and, I support my local wine shops.
2: And I will say that the wines you brought seem to be very well received. Uh, they all three of them were rails back wines. Yeah,
0: I only um, got to taste a couple of them because the third bottle went faster than someone was going <laughs> to pour me in. So.
2: Well, I'm glad people enjoyed the food and the wine.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, cook like a local, available wherever books are sold. Amazon if you want. He's got Chris well, has a book signing event coming up at Williams Sonoma next week. You can get copies at all of Chris's restaurants. Murder by the Book has a bunch of them. Brazos bookstore has a bunch of them. Will he
2: be giving away a personal appearance for somebody else that does a cookbook party?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You might I have to admit, you might have to be you might have to either be a member of the media or the market manager for Urban Harvest to get that kind of special treatment. But, you know, email Chris and see or (laughs) or message him on on his various social media platforms and see if you can lure him to your cook like a local cookbook party. I think
2: that'd be a good giveaway for Southern Smoke.
0: That would be a really, yes, cook like, yes, Chris comes to your dinner party and helps you make the dishes in the book would be a wonderful silent auction item for Southern Smoke. I bet they're already on it. (laughs) No doubt. All right. That does it for the News of the Week. We'll be right back with our Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Okay, Mary, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk about a couple of new places that we have been to recently. The first one is The Toasted Coconut. This is the new tiki-inspired bar and restaurant from Martin and Sarah Steyer, the couple that own... Nobies and their bar manager, Sarah Troxel. I had all three of them on the podcast a while back to talk about the toasted coconut and kind of how it came together. It took a little longer than they would have expected and anyone would have liked, but it is here, it is open, and it is serving all kinds of stuff, cocktails, food, large plates, the whole shebang. Uh, Mary, I'm just going to throw it to you. What do you what do you think?
2: In terms of give me something to start with.
0: <laughs> Overall impressions of the toasted coconut. First, well let's let's start with let's start with the the big question. Yes. Is it a bar or a restaurant?
2: It is, in my opinion, a restaurant.
0: <laughs> Ooh, they want it to be a bar. Though. I
2: know they want it to be a bar. Here's what I would say. I would say that the palapa outside. Feels like a bar tiki environment very much. Feel like the bar inside and the tiki lounge area behind it feels like a bar. And then I would say the third space, the dining room, feels like a restaurant. So two out of three feel like a bar.
0: Yeah, we were we were talking about this last night, and there's you know there's sort of the spectrum, right? Like Nobies is very clearly a restaurant, uh, one of my favorite restaurants. I, I ranked it as the sixth best restaurant in Houston recently, and then you have places like Better Luck Tomorrow that are more like bar with really great food, and I would say that the toasted coconut lies somewhere in between, but uh, that that section of restaurant-style tables and chairs sure. plus full service, mm-hmm. uh, at the very least, makes it feel more restaurant than bar to me. Like on the spectrum, Um, less, more of a bar than La Lucha, uh, more of a restaurant than Better Luck Tomorrow. How's that?
2: I think that's a nice summary of it. I like the idea that you can nibble on some small snacks here or you can have a more shareable meal. So if you just want something to pair with your tiki cocktails, they've got you covered. And we had a lot of good dishes that fit that description that were small and and, uh, in size and portion and very affordable.
0: Yeah. I was trying to figure out if I would go there for just the food without the drinks, which is kind of my criteria for, is this a restaurant or a bar?
2: Mm, it definitely fits like that after work kind of meet your friends, get a cocktail and have a little snack or vice versa on the flip side of that late night, you know, a place.
0: Yeah. I think, I think as like a, yes. So I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think as a, As a happy hour destination, uh, even though they haven't announced the specifics of what that program is going to be, I think it makes a ton of sense, right? You can go, you can get a cocktail or two or a glass of wine or a beer, and then they have all these shareable snacky type things. We had a bunch of them, all of which I liked. Uh, The not not so queso, which is like a, a peanut dipping sauce with chips.
2: With no cheese in it, and it was amazing.
0: Yeah, a vegan a vegan peanut dip essentially, really delicious. Uh, they have a whole bunch of different skewers. We had shrimp, coconut shrimp. They have mm-hmm. lamb. They have chicken. They have beef tenderloin that we didn't have together, but I have had previously and really enjoyed.
2: The shrimp was my favorite, honestly. The lamb was very good too. Yeah,
0: uh, it's it's leg of lamb, which I which I really like. Uh, chicken meatball maybe not my favorite. Uh, a little bit spongy, um, but the
2: pork dumplings were yeah, right. personal and then, favorite right and then
0: there's dumplings so we had we had pork dumplings uh, in a kind of sichuan like if you know the red oil dumplings from mala sure then this is kind of their version of that in
2: the spirit of
0: and then they do the uh,
2: they had fried chicken and mussels also that we tried yep so there's there's butter that. chicken
0: dumplings butter chicken i really like the butter chicken the dumplings the butter chicken was good sweet creamy or not sweet, rather, but but you know, cream, yeah, a little bit. You know, there's
2: also we didn't have it last night because they were out, but there is pie. So if you know them from Nobies, you know that their pie is pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, and I think I think the one thing that it really has in common with Nobies is that the service is good, and and obviously, look, we
2: the kitchens we cranking it out too. Yeah,
0: we know them, so but you know, if if there's one thing that kind of defines Nobies, and and Linda has talked about it on. On last week's show, is that they they really do a good job of making everybody feel welcome.
2: I think it, they make you feel welcome. You're, it's a fun environment. The music's really great here, and the kitchen is going to evolve. I'm sure. I'm sure the menu will constantly change, just like Nobies did. We had a great meal not that long ago at Nobies that was pretty outstanding, um, and I feel like each time we return, it's going to be just as good here.
0: Yeah, I mean that. That meal at Nobie's really locked it in for me. I mean, I, I always kind of knew Nobis was going to be a top 10 or 15 sure. restaurant on that top 100. But, you know, that meal really locked it in as like locked it into sixth place.
2: They're constantly reinventing themselves and everything is in top form, which is pretty rare.
0: Yeah, and so seeing how the menu with the toasted coconut evolves should be really good, too.
2: Ooh, that that salad, that rice crispy rice salad. Oh, yeah, the crispy rice salad, That yeah. was one of my favorites. Yeah. That's Great flavors, good citrus, good acidity. That was really light and refreshing. Not everything was, there were light dishes on the menu, which I think is important to note, too.
0: But there was also pretty good fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, restaurant number two. Yes. Savore. This is what I've. I keep describing this as a wine-fueled concept in the Heights.
2: I want to say Savoie, but okay. Savoir. I,
0: I believe they say Savoir. I'm just messing yes, with you. But I, yes, I know that it reads as the French Savoie. <laughs> this can be the newest, uh, is it Boheme or Boheme, controversy <laughs> among how to say a Houston restaurant's name properly. Uh, Brian Doak was at uh, Tiny Boxwoods for a long time. He is the proprietor. Brian's awesome. And then... Your friend, William...
2: Mr. Mesnerich William Mesnarech.
0: Yes, is their <laughs> wine director and also a partner in the adjacent wine shop, La Grande Rue.
2: Yes.
0: And then Micah Rideout, who I think I'm the only person who really liked Micah's Thai food at Tarakon, but uh, he's bounced around to a whole bunch of places. Uchi Main Kitchen. He was at Jackson's Bistro. He was at Patente. He's been at Reef. Uh, I really hope he's found a home at Savoie, uh, Savoir. Um, I don't know. Talk to me about what do you think of the food?
2: I thought the food. We to be fair, we went like we went right, on their second
0: day of their soft opening, we, right at, when at they their opened, invitation. Yeah. At
2: their invitation, I thought the food was very good for day number two. Um, I think they're going to. I mean they. They definitely listened to our feedback. I think some of the portions, honestly, were too big, but that's not really that bad of a criticism. Uh what was the dish that we had on the sizzling platter?
0: Oh yeah, the uh the lamb fajitas.
2: And it was I mean, it could have fed honestly like Four of us. Easily. Maybe maybe mm-hmm. six. I mean it was very, very generous portion, but it was that to me was one of their signature dishes.
0: Oh, absolutely. And that's that's a dish that they've been kind of fooling around with for a long time they have the uh the chicken the chicken bundles wrapped in the um in the mustard greens they have mm-hmm. the uh they had that uh, tomato salad that was really nice yeah i mean i think i think there's a lot on that menu that's pretty compelling and I mean, you're you're going to have to tell me about the wine list. I I always defer to your expertise. <laughs>
2: uh, the wine list is good. William does a great job. Williams never worked in a restaurant uh, environment before, by his own admittance during our dinner. Uh, so it was interesting to hear to see him work tableside service and how he presented and everything else. But I think the wine list is really strong. Uh, we only saw wine by the glass list that night, I believed, because it was soft opening. So I didn't get to see the full list, but there were definitely some nice sparkling options. Always one of my favorites. Uh, he had a nice uh, Jura Cremant on there that was lovely and uh, very reasonable. I'm interested to see how the restaurant wine bar and wine shop, since I also have all three concepts at Avondale Food and Wine, how that plays out and how uh, whether each one of them has their own identity or if there's a little more crossover uh, between the three.
0: Right. Because right now, if you have a really great bottle of wine at Savoir and you want to go next door and buy it, they are not typically stocking those wines, but they will order it for you.
2: Yeah, so I don't. That if I had one criticism, that would be, that would be the thing I would say is, you have your audience of your customers in your dining room, and don't you want to capitalize on that by having those wines readily available? Yeah, maybe but, you,
0: maybe you don't want them to know what the difference between the the retail price and the restaurant market.
2: Yeah, is. and I get that to a point, but I mean we're very transparent about you know there's a retail price and there's there's an on-premise price and we've priced ourselves very low in the market. So if you're transparent about that, I think in some ways people feel that they're getting a good value versus maybe some other people in town who don't even show you the bottle of price bottle price. And when you see it, you feel like maybe you're getting ripped off a little bit.
0: Fair enough. I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you who those people
2: are. No, 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 no. It's just, everybody has their own model and their own, you know, their own markup and, they know what they need to do to make their numbers work. And it, William's a really smart guy. So this didn't just happen by by any chance. I'm sure there's there's evidence to back it up. And it's this is going to be a success for the Heights. The Heights doesn't have anything quite like this. And Heights people like their wine.
0: Right. And and certainly uh, the addition of Squabble in the Heights. Absolutely. Uh, to a certain a- extent, Maison Pucha. hmm you know that there's a wine culture there's there's a more there's a there's a wine drinking population in the heights there's a sophisticated
2: like i don't go to sonoma but sonoma's been there a long time
0: right um but the idea that the heights is kind of maturing as a dining neighborhood and that a slightly more upscale concept would be a fit there but i mean look you can still go there and get like you can sit at the bar and have a glass of wine and or a beer and a burger Or a pizza, yeah.
2: And the bar is spacious;
0: it's big. Yeah, yeah. The wine bar space is really nice. The restaurant, and oh yes, the bar area of the restaurant is spacious. Mm -hmm. And in addition, the wine bar is a decent size too.
2: And they also serve food at the wine bar, correct? They do. It has its own menu. So So so. that's that's nice too. If you want something even more casual, less less formal.
0: Yeah. So I look forward to going back to Savour for another dinner, and then as they roll out brunch and lunch, that'll be. That'll be pretty compelling. I think it's a really nice addition to the neighborhood.
2: I'm excited.
0: Yes. All right. Mary, before you get out of here, what's going on at Avondale Food and Wine?
2: So we have a couple of things coming up. We have uh, Lee Hudson. Lee Lee is a cowboy. He's amazing. Uh, he's a winemaker in California, originally from Texas. That is going to be on Tuesday, September 17th at 7 p.m. It's 80 bucks for a family-style meal. We're actually pouring eight of Lee's wines This is a very accessible price point, and he is a delight to be around. So, anybody that wants to come to that, uh, check us out on Instagram or send us send us a note um, on any of our social media platforms. And then we've got a Mathiasen event. Mathiasen Steve Mathiasen is a winemaker as well in California. His wines are very, very popular here in Texas and have a lot of support. We're doing an event uh, featuring Matthias and Wines on the 29th from one to five. It'll be a tasting. We'll have more details here in the next few days. So, lots of wine stuff, lots of great food. Uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. All right,
0: Mary, thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, I'll be right back with Chris Williams and Don Burrell.
1: You're listening to What's Eric Eating.
0: I'm joined this week by Chris Williams, the chef owner of Lucille's in the Museum District, and Don Burrell, the chef of Culture Downtown. Hello, hello, Don. Welcome back to the show. How are you?
3: I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having
0: us. Thanks for being here, Chris. Welcome. Thank you, Chris. Let me start with you. You've never you have, I've had Don on the show before. I've never had you before. So let me uh, so let me start at the beginning. I mean, Lucille's has been around since what 2012
1: yeah we opened in august of twenty twelve We just celebrated our seventh anniversary Woo-hoo. um yeah on the twenty third of last month
0: how did you How did you get started in cooking like wh- like what led you to lucille's um well i it's it's a, a, it's a, it's a simple question the, with a long answer right? yeah it's a
1: yeah uh let's try the cliff noted version. I have just always had a passion for the restaurant industry. I started back when I was like 16. My first job was waiting tables over at Chili's. Um, Shortly fired. Uh, A little bit after I started, I was relieved. Uh, But got the bug uh, back then. So then I just, um, through college, worked my way through every position in the restaurant industry. And then eventually found my way to the back of the house. Um, And that's when I really fell in love with it. I moved out to Europe and... Cooked with some crazy chefs, and it went from being like my hustle, my hustle to my passion, the way that I could survive when I was out there, to being like everything that I wanted to do. Um, so I was in Europe for four years, in Canada for two years, traveling and fine-tuning the art of boiling ham and potatoes, because that's, uh, that's Nova Scotian fare, you know, at its <laughs> finest. And then, um, yeah, worked in D.C. with some great chefs, and then came home. Always wanted to open up my own restaurant, and then I found that space, and it was just it's perfect. And the landlord gave me an opportunity.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've become a real staple in a neighborhood that doesn't really have a lot of restaurants. Yeah, especially back when I opened up. Yeah, I mean, um, you were kind of on an island out there.
1: Yeah, and it was great. I love my island. Uh, <laughs> it was me and <laughs> and Zaza <laughs> and Spanish Village, right? And Reggae Heights. That was it. Um, but you know that we have some outstanding restaurants here now, like MF Sushi's. My neighbor. Um, all the money that we make, I go and give it to them. Uh. That's very thoughtful of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it. so. I think so. $12 a piece of Nigeria at a time. Exactly. And then after that, you got to go eat. Uh, okay. but, yeah. but it's delicious. <laughs> right. it's <a> delicious <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is delicious. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've been out there for a while. And, you know, I always knew that in that neighborhood, if we could sustain the neighborhood, the neighborhood would sustain us. I never expected it to grow into what it's become. But um, they're still what drive the business.
0: Yeah, I mean you named the restaurant for your great grandmother, right? As mm-hmm. I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this from memory. I don't have my notes in front of me. Lucille Bishop Smith. Correct. So in what ways does her does her cooking kind of influence what you're still what you're still doing? And yeah, let's start with that. Um well I mean what we do with the we you know, we wanna pay homage to her
1: and celebrate her and her contribution to the American culinary um scene and and really just to the African-American um, <clears throat> uh, everything. <laughs> like she's just, she's just, she's, just a, she's an American icon and she did, she broke barriers for everybody, uh, for women and for African-American men and women, period. Uh, the two things that we've still served on the menu that are hers unchanged are the hot rolls and the chili biscuits. So the hot rolls are like America's first yeast roll um, mix that was verified by the Chicago Tribune. This is the recipe that, a very well-known corporation borrowed um, and made their millions off of, and this is yeah. You know, I won't say the name. I don't think we have to. And uh, they, they they come in
0: a can. They're uh, they do. All yeah, right.
1: Yeah. And you know, <laughs> and there's that. So we do those and the chili biscuits and a real testament to her is that those are still our best sellers to this day.
0: And these are hundred year old recipes. Nice.
1: Yeah.
0: And then so how has the restaurant evolved? I mean, you've tried. You've tried some different things over the years, but, but where are you at right now?
1: I mean, so, oh, you know, you're trying to fill out, as you grow growing your business, you're trying to figure out how to be a restaurateur and, you know, establish your voice as a chef, um, working your way out of people's framing, you know, what they expect the restaurant to be, uh, which is the biggest uh, hurdle. But, you know, it, like, you know, that, that's that's the biggest thing is like, you know, people can't even, you know, appreciate the substance of what's on the plate past what they expect to be on the plate. You know, um, so now I'm I'm over that like I've lost the chip on the shoulder um, and have expect and really decided on what we are, which is just that good neighborhood restaurant which celebrates history, American history and just simple, approachable, um, really good food. Um, and as far as I'm concerned. It's unique because uh, you know I don't. <laughs> it's Houston, yeah. It's, I'll just leave it. At, it's unique. It's unique. I mean, best yeah. shrimp and
0: grits in town, right?
1: I mean, yeah. If you ask me, yeah, sure.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> okay, I'm up for that challenge. Um. <laughs> so, so, Don, how did how did you and Chris meet?
3: Um, we actually actually met through this uh, this uh, project this mission we have crossed paths many times i know his brother i've known his brother for like 10 years mm-hmm. um but i have never met him uh up until we we started uh planning uh for our fads dinners and so it was it was great to finally put a name to the face or face to name or however they say it because we you know we we would always talk i would always talk about him and i knew exactly who yeah he i goes. heard about all that too i just never <laughs> met him whatever i <laughs> just never met him
0: uh, yeah. So, so Chris, how did Fads or, or the Food Apartheid Dinner Series come together?
1: Um, well, it was a, it really came from uh, Chef Dominic Lee. Uh, it was his idea. Um, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a while. And when I reached out to the chefs, when I was you know fresh with Lucille's, there wasn't a lot of people that were interested in what I was trying to do. They were you know, it just wasn't. We didn't pick up. They didn't. There was no. Nobody had any interest in really doing it. So Dom went through uh, Jalen and started reaching out to all of us. I think you guys already had a relationship together, right? You and Dom? Uh, yes,
3: I've known Dom, uh, I've known Dom for uh, about five years now. Oh, really? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Apparently, this guy knows everybody. Yeah, you know, he's a connector. Yeah, 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 because yeah, I'm the opposite. I'm disconnected.
0: <laughs>
1: like, I stay disconnected. And so he reached out to me and you know pitched the idea. I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was a real opportunity for us to do... Um Do good business and do well by the community, um which is what we always try to do. that's what we always want to do um so yeah he 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 don being the connector that he is, reached out to me, reached out to chef Don and uh johnny and um I mean how could you not want to cook with those people yeah
0: yeah absolutely uh Don tell me a little bit about the name because i mean obviously the word apartheid you know brings. So Not much, so much imagery, and and you know, legalized segregation, and so, you know, so what is what is what is apartheid, or what is food apartheid in this in this context? Well,
3: in this context, food apartheid is just simply a um, uh, sort of a, a situation or a circumstance that people are in that um, that that have been either placed there or or. P- the people have been placed in that situation, or they cannot get out of it themselves. So, therefore, um, it is a it is a, a situation in which they're stuck. Whether it be segregated from those that have, yeah, really like access, right? Yes, Yeah, Segregated. That's
1: it's an, it's, it's it's another way of putting like just that the food deserts that we're talking about and them not having access to fresh to, foods,
3: to fresh foods and things like that. Be it so,
1: you know by re, you know just by the location or by financially, yeah.
0: Yeah, so what, are you, so, so what are you doing to help the people that are separated from access to fresh food?
3: So our goal would be to um, educate and also provide. So we, right. um, our goal is to, um, to provide, um, to, to plant community gardens and neighborhoods and also educate people about how to use these things, um, these vegetables that they've never seen before, or um, how to grow yourself so that you will always have food you know um because a desert implies that the pl- that the food is not the the land is not fruitful but the land is is very fruitful in their in their neighborhoods so it's just not they're just not able to do it or they or able to have it
0: right they've never been given the knowledge the, exactly. or the tools or whatever all the the things you need to to grow food exactly exactly mm-hmm. so so chris you've had one of these dinners so far uh, you've got another one coming up this week I mean, what's it like working with these these three other chefs? How's that going?
1: Well, I mean, so the first dinner was over at uh, Um, The really good turnout. Um, we have like forty. Um yeah,
3: about forty, forty soups, yeah. something
1: like that. Um, and so I can tell you that Chef Don, like it was, it was okay. So it's Chef Dom's <laughs> idea. It's his baby, but Chef Don insisted on. Experience, you know, forcing the labor pains on herself because this woman wanted to make all the fresh bread that day. Wanted to make the fresh bread for the bread pudding. Took on three courses. Did you do three courses? Four dishes? I
3: did. I made food. You did right? a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> She did a lot, and I, you know,
0: <laughs> and she come, so she comes from that Uchi background. She's got to show off. A little yeah, bit. like, and I was
1: like, you know, it was, to be honest, so that was the first time we're in the kitchen. There's been a bunch of meetings. I think I was only able to attend two of the meetings with my schedule and traveling and all this kind of stuff. Um, so. And went from two meetings to then, okay, now we're in the kitchen and she is doing everything and brought everything. And I'm like, okay, shit, like this is a little intimidating, <laughs> like, you know, because I, I have my fish, I got my little lime. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I am just ready, to like do like, you know, this stuff. I got all I need is two pots and I'm done. You know, and I kinda of felt bad. You know, so you funny, sound practical like, to me, I don't know. Yeah, I mean and so he was I very mean very
3: practical. And I was jealous uh, of his practicality and I, and he's like, oh, oh wait, my little fish. But I you know when you when you sign up for a bread service and that's what I signed up for, then that's what you get. Yeah. It wasn't even a bread service, it said bread trio. And mm. so I was. I, I, I made it. Beautiful, Brett. Thank you. It Thank was beautiful. You. Um, you know, but it was all. I mean, it was fun. Like the, all yeah. this joke. This is um, all in fun. But yeah, um, we all put our best efforts forward for, for um, that event.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, everybody is cool. There is the instant camaraderie in the kitchen. I mean. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I mean, because I know when I saw you doing all that prep, I kind of went to the front and got on my laptop and acted like I had a lot of business I had to handle. <laughs> so I didn't have to get involved in all that because it, it was a lot that she took on. So <laughs> out, outside of that, when, when her shit was tight, then the camaraderie kicked in. I mean, maybe you guys were working together. <laughs> maybe you guys were working together back you know, back there. I don't know. I was in the front having a martini and uh,
0: on the laptop. He's
3: so funny. I didn't know that's what he <laughs> did. Yeah, that's what he did. <laughs>
1: That's that's the true story.
0: But uh, you're hosting what next week? I think right at Lucille's Don, Yeah, dawn is tomorrow. Right, dawn is tomorrow. Uh-huh. Don, So we're recording on a Monday. Dawn's dinner is Tuesday, and then this podcast will come out on Thursday. Oh, okay. so too late, too late to to move any tickets to to the dinner at Culture. But but mm. when is the dinner at Lucille's? Uh, it's on the 18th. Yes, which is okay. a Wednesday. Okay, yeah. so we can we can move a couple of tickets to that. Yeah. Yeah. Now host now having seen what the other chefs did at at Puccine, and then you'll get to see what, what everybody's doing to culture like mm-hmm. is, is the pressure on for you as the host in your own restaurant? Do you have to like it, you have to bust it out a little bit?
1: I mean, so I'm a fast, I'm a quick learner. And after seeing what Don went through, um, I'm gonna change the menu. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I put a lot of stuff on there. Did you say Dom or Don? Don. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you took on a lot, right? And no, and, and, I and it was happy. I know, and it was brilliant. It was beautiful, but I don't want to work like that anymore. No, well, I, yeah, you know. I mean, I want to. Eric, I was proud of
3: my work. I People was
1: proud like of your work. <laughs> like she stole the show. It sounds like it sounds like you had a lot to be proud of. It was yeah, she <laughs> did she did it was beautiful. But no, I'm not really con- I mean, like you know, home's home. Lucille's my home. Um, yeah, I built it. I, there, there's no real pressure. I just want everything to go smooth and. The, I guess the only tricky thing is I don't know the size of culture's kitchen, um, mm-hmm. but I know mine. Like, I designed my kitchen, and it's about, you know, the size of this studio. <laughs> so <laughs> we're about to try to pull out nine courses out of this little box, um, which is, that's going to be a challenge, but it'll be fun. It's all in, you know. will be.
0: Yeah. And then this all wraps up with uh, a big community party at, at Indigo. Correct. Uh, what can people look forward to for that?
1: Well, like Don said, we're going um, to, the, the, the point of this, uh, the whole dinner series is that we're going to give all the proceeds, <coughs> excuse me, that go from every dinner, going to go to African American farmers. We're going to go buy fresh produce from these African American farmers, and then we're going to have a big give back over at Johnny's restaurant, over at Indigo. So what we're going to do is have all these bags of just loaded up with veg. We're going to give them out to the community. I'm going to have my paella pan. Don, did, did you say you're roasting a goat or something yes. like that?
3: Um, there'll be some live fire cooking, um, yeah. and I will roast a goat.
0: You're going to get your Malman on? My what? Your Francis Malman. You're, oh, yeah, yeah, the yes, big yes, stretched yes. out on the... Yes. Iron Cross, yeah.
2: yes, Yeah, so yes, you're, you're,
1: you're going to do the goat, I'm going to do the pig, mm-hmm. and we're going to show the people how to do the vegetables. Highway Vodka is going to get in, sponsor some things. So it should be, I think we have a DJ scheduled, right?
3: Yes. It's, it's uh. a true party. Um, and, again, I'll, we are going to um, provide produce for the guests there, um, but eventually we our ultimate goal will be to um, um, systematically plant community gardens, which is Right, something that's really important. Right, yeah. so
0: so these 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 three dinners in the party. This is this is the beginning of a movement. It's not it's, it's not done after this month.
3: Oh, not at all. We hope to do this uh, this same series annually and ultimately um, nationally. Yeah, as we grow
1: and um, welcome in different chefs to come in to be a part of it. Absolutely. because you know? yeah. it's always great to do. Like I mean, like Lucille's code, and I think just the code of anybody who's like conscious business um, is to do well. And do well by the community, and I think the Fads Dinner Series is like that. That's that's it's great, and it's so many different ways we can go with it. There's so many chefs in town that we could bring into into it because it's um It's
0: cooking with the cause. Yeah, and uh, Don, let me just ask you, how's how's life at Culture these days? What's what's going on over there?
3: Oh, life at Culture is wonderful. Um, we just recently rolled out a brunch venue, um, and um, it's been well received. Uh, and I'm really excited about the addition of 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 um, new menu items um to kind of you know can uh have people continuously interested in what we're doing over there.
0: Yeah, so what so what are some of the dishes that you're serving?
3: Um so I serve um our version of French toast and um chicken and waffles. I call them the syrup sandwich and uh, mother duncan chicken respectively. And um <laughs> <laughs> Mother and Duncan. Mother Duncan. <laughs> um so it's basically um, hot chicken um, Hot Pusan, um, and it's basically dunked in a hot sauce, chili sauce, like natural style, um, on top of a very thin uh, waffle. We call it a waffle bed because they're like the 1970s, 1980s versions of waffles that we used to have back when. Mm. Um, and I really love that version.
1: It sounds awesome. Yeah. If I ever get off on a Saturday, Sunday I'll come by You
3: should come. It. You yeah. should come. But only come on Saturday because you'll be there by yourself on Sunday for right now.
1: Oh really?
0: Yeah, we're closed on Sunday. Well, goddamn! <laughs> <laughs> must be nice. It's baseball season. You're missing all those Sunday home games.
3: Correct. Um, we oh, yeah. we anticipate opening for uh, Sunday by by late fall. Um, that's our goal.
0: Okay. Mm. Um, and then, Chris, I know before before we started recording, you were talking about you were just in Uzbekistan. Yeah, Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. What? <laughs> How did you wind up? How did you wind up in, Uzbek- in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan?
1: Well, I mean, I've had an interest in these countries for a long time because I've dated people from these countries uh, for a long time. Um, or a long time ago, rather. Uh, but so I do a lot of work with the State Department. Uh, we do food diplomacy, which is what you can see on the back of all the Lucille's T-shirts. Um, and that's where, uh, you know, the embassies in whatever, whatever country, like before there I was in Ukraine and Kiev and Ivano uh, 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 Frankivsk, um, trying to just break down, you know, the the purpose of any embassy is to instill American values, wherever they are, and break down American stereotypes and kind of share our world. And uh, the best way to do it is through food. Um, The restaurant business is the same. It doesn't matter if you're here, if you're in Tashkent, Uzbekistan, or Nur-Sultan, Kazakhstan. The restaurant industry is the same. It's the same struggle. We all try to deal with the same issues as far as staffing is concerned. We still deal with the same stuff, trying to educate our guests. And also try to and deal with the same thing as far as working out of the stereotypes that people frame for whoever the chef of the restaurant is. It's the exact same shit. It doesn't matter where you are. So when I was out there this last tour, it was about giving master classes in American beef because this is a new budding market um, for uh, Pacific Northwest ranchers that are trying to get their trying to break into the market. So I was showing them about the marbling, the the what you can do with quality beef versus you know the the local Uzbek goat finest. Right? It's mostly goat. Yeah, or and you know even if it's <laughs> <laughs> or it's it's, it's beef mutton that, that you wouldn't yeah. tell. You couldn't tell if if it's a T-bone on a steak, of beef out there. You wouldn't know if it's that or mutton. It's just tough. There's no because what they do is they take their dairy cows. Oh. They use all the milk. And then once they dry up all the milk, then they chop that joint up <laughs> and put it on the table. So, so it's a real opportunity. So I'm showing these chefs out there we did several masterclasses, showing them how, you know, the qualities of American beef, the best way, best practices for breaking them down and getting total utilization out of, uh, all the cuts. Yeah. So, so how did it go? I mean, are they, it was with- awesome, man. Like, it, it was awesome. Like, I mean, like it, it's just the What's so great about it, And like, it doesn't matter. where. I mean, this is my seventh time doing it. Um, they're just curious, and, and, and people just, they, you know, they have the least amount of stereotypes out there. Like, I mean, if you bring skill to the table, like, if you know what you're doing, they'll receive it. Um, they, were, they were happy and excited and ready to go. And, I mean, it's 70 different chefs in two different countries, and we work together like we've been doing it for 10 years. So it was a great program, extremely successful. And uh yeah, I can't wait until we do the next one. Yeah, do you do you know where you're going next? Uh well as soon as we we're done we're done with this series, I'm going to Lebanon. Um, Lebanon, Jordan, and uh Ethiopia. Wow. Yeah. But that's for the restaurant that I'm opening up in Canada, which is gonna be a Lebanese. It's Lebanese, it's Nova Scotian ingredients with Lebanese influences. So I'm gonna go study that food. Uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. going be dope. how do you
0: how do you get the opportunity to open a lebanese restaurant in Nova scotia?
1: Well, the same way I get an opportunity to own my own restaurant here you create the opportunity so you, you just have to force it so my sons live there and uh, Canada, there's there're not many they're not a lot of especially in Nova scotia not a lot of opportunities for people of color um and even less ambition so <laughs> I want to bring it i'm gonna go force it on them and uh open up this restaurant
0: out there like so, I, so basically you're to get your sons to, to get your sons a job, you're going so, to open to, a restaurant. To show them
1: where they come from. You know yeah. what I mean? Because they, they, they need to see it. They're, there's no access out there, and so they need to see what ownership looks like. They need to see what entrepreneurialism is. Um, so, And I found a great opportunity. And, I tell you, and I'm not even going to tell you guys a secret on, on the podcast. I'll tell you afterwards. All right. But, but yeah.
0: let me – I just – I'm fascinated. I, I, didn't, I didn't know you were doing this. I have to – why Lebanese food? Well, so just like Lucille's, right um, – I found
1: the angle being like, uh, if you take, um, what is it? In Houston with 15,000 restaurants, it helps to have a story behind your concept, right? Especially a true story. So in Nova Scotia specifically, it's not like Toronto. It's a very DIY, DIY, DIY DIY kind of community. And the last thing they want is some American asshole coming out there trying to show them how to cook, right? Like nobody wants that anywhere really. Um, so I found the easiest way in the restaurant that I'm taking over has been there for 45 years it's a Lebanese family a staple in the community and was like the first um, butcher like badass butcher in that part of Canada (coughs) and his name is Emil so I figured the best way for me to get the community behind me and welcome me is to be a champion of Emil who was there before so I'm going to name it after Emil and celebrate what he was doing there for the past 45 years So just bringing it to life, modernizing a little bit. All right. Yeah. And then what about what about Houston? You have
0: plans for anything else here in Houston? Are you? uh No,
1: Houston has more than enough. It's too much here in Houston, honestly. No, no. And then you know, and I'm sick of being a conduit of money. (laughs) Like I'm great for the economy out here, but you know, I want to start
0: keeping it. So no, no no more, no more in Houston. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, I. I, I have nowhere to go with that. You, okay. you win. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, Chris, before I let you get out of here, I always wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. Well, Don's already been through I it, so I'm going to spare her. Time. Okay. <laughs> uh, five, uh, five easy questions, five short answers. Okay. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. All righty. Chris Williams, what is, your, uh, what is your favorite cookbook? Favorite cookbook
1: right now? What the hell is the one I just bought? It's something about Turkey. It's something I bought in Turkey the other day. It's beautiful. I don't know what the name of it is. Fair enough. Yeah. What is, uh, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? First band I ever saw in... Oh, it has to be Prince. Yeah.
0: yeah it was a Purple Rain concert. It's a fantastic answer. Yes. yes. What is your... Uh... And the last band I saw in concert.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
0: What is, uh, what is your... Uh, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Akeem. Solid. Uh, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through. Oh, it can't be gas stations that have drive throughs. No, I'm all right with the use. gas. The gas station counts. I just, okay. I, I'm just trying to duck like the the Shake Shacks of the world. I don't really think of that. Oh no no there. no
1: no no no. My guilty pleasure: gummy bears, Evil Twin specifically by a trolley mm-hmm. that you can find in only the finest gas stations around town.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what is your go to pizza order? Um, I don't like pizza. <laughs>
1: Good Lord, I don't like pizza. I yeah. have never. I
0: yeah. All right, I love Italy. Hate pizza. Fair yeah. enough. Um, give us uh, give us the website for Lucille's. Give us your social media. Give us all that.
1: Um, Lucille's is uh, Lucille'sHouston.com, and everything else is at Lucille's Houston. I think that's is that how the Facebook thing works. I don't really yeah. do the Facebook. Is it at? Um, They'll Instagram find it.
0: That's, it. that's that's at, Instagram. They'll find okay. it. On yeah,
1: it's all Lucille's Houston, and mines. Um, at chef underscore Chris Williams. All
0: right. Yeah. Don, give us give us culture and give us the food apartheid dinner series.
3: Um, so the food apartheid dinner series, I believe, is at Fads, Fads. Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and um culture's handle on Instagram is uh culture underscore uh, Houston. Yeah. And um. And I'm at Chef Don Burrell. If right. anyone's interested, and it's so.
0: <laughs> and it's culture with a K,
3: culture with a K, yes, and it's that is very important. <laughs>
1: and it's f a d s underscore Houston underscore for Houston. fads. Yes. Perfect. Uh,
0: thank you both.
3: Oh, thank you for having us again. Really appreciate appreciate it. it. All right,
0: you can follow me on Twitter at Esandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. As always, I appreciate your comments and reviews, but like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.